Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. We're going to start looking at verses 10 through 15. We look tonight at, um, and I, it's the title of the message itself, Jacob's Ladder, because that's really what the text covers. Uh, and what a blessing, I pray, that it will be for us as we dive into this study. Genesis 28, verses 10 through 15, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took, a, took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, in the land, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth." And thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee, and in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we consider this text and this event, Father, we pray that You'd give us understanding. As we bear witness here in the, this portion of your word of something we've likely never experienced, something we're likely never to experience, something that will take discernment and wisdom and the application of your word to truly understand. Let us not take it lightly. Let us not take this title as something we know, we've heard, we understand. But instead, Lord, give us something significant. Give us some kind of application point in this message, Lord, that we would truly grip a hold of your word for ourselves, that each and every individual here, saved and unsaved alike, member and not member alike, would come to recognize in some sort of significance the very reason why they are here this evening. Help us, Father, as we continue this study. Be with our membership that are missing. Is uh, certainly thankful for all the prayer updates from Brother Clark, but he's definitely missed. And Lord, we just pray that you be with him as he works this evening. Be with those who might be watching or listening, Lord, that they might find a blessing. We ask, Lord, that you'd return us all to next appointed time. Let's you call us home instead. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we discussed last time, Jacob departed from the family home in Beersheba alone. And uh, compared to the faithful servant, really relatively empty-handed. Dr. Henry Morris points out in contrast to that faithful servant back in Genesis 24 that Jacob's journey to Laban was without a caravan of protection and resources. His taking of the stones of that place and putting them for his pillows and laying down in that place to sleep uh, is not describing a man who had creature comforts but chose not to use them. His departure was immediate due to the anger of his brother. Perhaps his mother supplied him with enough food or uh, with, with perhaps a, something to trade, some kind of finances in order to barter and make his way safely. Uh, but a man sleeping in this manner is not one who's uh, following on the, the lap of luxury. Nothing was organized, and this departure, this trip was taken in haste. Haran was 500 miles from where Jacob had spent most of his life there in Beersheba. This trip would have likely taken weeks in total 
to complete. And I just have two points to really cover tonight and discuss, and I, I won't promise it'll be short. It never is, uh, especially when I say it will be. But we're just going to look at the vision and the voice uh, concerning this text. So after a couple days' journey, which would have uh, estimated to be about 70 miles or so, Jacob took rest in the area of Bethel. And now it was near Bethel that Abraham had built an altar. If you consider Genesis 12, verse 8, it says, And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Consider as well Genesis 13, verses 1 through 4. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had and lot with him, into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So we don't know exactly how near that altar or that place where the altar once was uh, Jacob might have been. I've read a few commentators this week that uh, that seem to have it all figured out. I don't, so I won't share their findings. But um, but we know this is a, a general area in which Abraham would have been. This was also the place in which Jacob would later return. If you'll consider with me Genesis 35, verse 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Uh, I know that we'll cover Genesis 35.1, Lord willing, as we continue our study through Genesis, but I want you to see first and foremost this event, what it follows and what it precedes. It, it's a, a moment in time in which the Lord communicates with his servant, with his man here, with Jacob, and it's significant to God as well as it being significant to this promised seed family line that we've been following. That night he took one of the stones to rest against as he slept. And God gave him a vision of a ladder from heaven to earth. Now I know whenever this hits Podbean and everything else and they see the topic Jacob's Ladder, uh, given the preceding year, there will be a boys club that will listen to this message. So let me be real clear. We are saved by Jesus alone. We are not saved by dreams. We're not saved by works. I'm not going to lay out a plan in which we can interpret Jacob's dream or anyone else's dream here tonight. If you're looking for that, you can turn it off now that we've gotten that out of the way. Consider, if you will, John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. And if you're not going to turn there, at least write in your margins, John 1, verses 43 through 51, because there is a connection here. This is literally the Lord's interpretation of said things, which is why we can trust it. And it says there, The day following, Jesus will go forth into Galilee, and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael. And saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write. We found Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Or I skipped ahead, sorry. Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael. Coming to him and saith of him, Behold in Israel indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? 
Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This ladder that Jacob sees in the vision is a type of, and maybe because of it being a vision, a, a literal type of our Christ Jesus, our Messiah, Jesus himself, the connection. He is the ladder, the foot on the earth in his human nature, the top of heaven in his divine nature. He is the only that connects the two. There are no other connections that have not been severed or false to begin with. Christ is the way that all God's favors come to us and all our services go to him. It is through Christ that God sees us and accepts us. It is through Christ that we see and communicate with God. He is, a type, uh, he is the type that's pictured here. He is this ladder. Jacob is a perfect picture of the lost soul in the darkness, fleeing for his life, away from his father's house, burdened with sin and ignorant of the fact that God is near him and wants to save him, quote-unquote, wants to save him. We understand certainly after our study through the attributes of God that uh, God's providential wants tend to happen. They're, they're not necessarily once as we would have them to be once, but once as in this is his desire and he shall make it forth. He will uh, conclude that with a shall. The latter pictures Christ as the only way from earth to heaven. He opens heaven for us and brings heaven's blessings to our lives. And he alone can take us to heaven. He is the mediator between the two. Relating this further to John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51, we note that Jacob was an Israelite who was full of guile. Guile being, uh, uh, when defined, a, a deceit or a type of uh, deception or beguiling as we've heard before and this deceitful experience that just concluded in the previous chapter with Isaac and Rebekah shows us the significance of this phrase that Jesus uses of an Israelite with no guile when he meets Nathaniel. This theophany and I don't use this word accidentally this is what our Sunday school class was learning while we were in here on Sunday this theophany in dream form is the first of at least seven recorded revelations from God to Jacob Genesis 31 3 Genesis 31 11 through 13 Genesis 32 verses 1 through 2 as well as verses 24 through 30 Genesis 35 verses 9 through 13 and then in Genesis 46, verses 1 through 4. You certainly don't have to memorize those. We're, we're going to cover those as we go through. The angels on the ladder were an indication of God's care and administration. They appear again to protect Jacob when he was about to face Esau. And again, if you'll consider Genesis 32, verses 1 through 2, and Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanium. So we understand here that God is very much still active in his creation. This is the same God that we've been studying since the beginning of this book. This same God that created this universe has a connective tissue to this universe, spoke of hope at the end of Genesis 3 when it seemed that all hope should have been lost, when Adam and Eve both fell and failed to uphold true and spiritual worship with God. And this 
vision is confirmed by the voice of God in verses 13 through 15, which brings us into our second and final point. Visions apart from the word of God can be deceiving. So God spoke to Jacob to assure him. A person is not saved, as I said before, by angels, by visions, and really not even saved by experiences. I, I, th I understand the Holy Spirit regeneration is an experience, but it's not an experience in one that, in the physical sense, we would consider to be a type of work. It's an experience like no other. It is no less than a miracle itself, as the quickening of a dead individual or a dead soul everlasting life revealed to one who does not deserve it that's a miracle and only one that god can commit to consider the promises that god gave to jacob the first thing he mentions in verse 13 is the land the promise was first given to abraham it was reaffirmed to isaac uh, listen as we confirm both genesis 13 verse 14 and the lord said unto abram after that Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. Almost word for word. Consider now Genesis 26, verses 1 through 5. And there was a famine in the land, beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went into Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. The holy land belongs to the Jews. Still does. Because who greater than God could have given it to anyone else? God didn't give it to anyone else. He gave it to one. It's still their land. Even though they do not possess all of it, one day Israel will possess her possessions. We see this in Obadiah, verse 17 confirmed here over and over again to this promised seed lineage. The second thing we hear in the, from this voice in verse 14 is the multiplied seed. This assured Jacob that God would give him a wife. Otherwise, he could not have descendants. And I know that's, that's basic biology and basic math, but understand that just as it confirmed it for Abraham, and just as it would have been confirmed for Isaac had it ever been questioned, the promised seed had to come from a man and a woman. Well, that unfortunately is controversial in 2023, but that's how it works. A man and a woman. It's how it's always worked. And no matter how we usurp it with our quote-unquote intelligence and our creativity, it still takes something from a man and something from a woman to make life. Once again, an obvious key component to the promised seed is the ability to re reproduce in kind, which was laid out in the very first chapter of the Bible, that all that the Lord created would reproduce like in like manner, kind for kind. And the last thing that he points out there in verse 15 is God's personal presence. Now, I think... It's probably pretty easy for many of us to understand the significance of the land 
the multiplied seed. I mean, how many hearts have, in this room alone have been broken over a miscarriage? But when it comes to God's personal presence, I don't think our hearts break near enough over this topic, over this promise. How many in here are truly desirous of his presence? I won't ask you to raise your hand because raising your hand would uh, confirm to the world that you want a closer relationship with God. And a closer relationship with God will mean some things got to go that are in your life. Some things the Lord will lead you to walk away from. Other things he will strip away from you because they shouldn't be there to begin with. This isn't original to me. I literally heard Milburn preach it a few hours ago on our website. It's still true. I believe the, the website said he preached those messages between 96 and 98, I want to say. Still true today. 24, 26 years later. Christians still don't want to have a close relationship with God because it means they have to die unto self. It means the things that they are currently pleased by might have to change, might have to visit the altar and not come away. This verse here in verse 15 suggests that Jacob would wander about, but God promised to be with him. Why? Why would God promise to be with him? Is it because Jacob deserved it? Is it because Jacob stole the blessing? Is it because Jacob was worthy? It's because God had a plan for Jacob's life. This was a plan that he confirmed with Rebecca before these two boys were born. This was a plan that was laid out way back when the promised seed became a necessity. This was a promise laid out before the foundation of the world. God had a plan for Jacob, but Jacob did this. doesn't change the fact that God, who doesn't change, had a plan for Jacob. Who in here is worthy? But I did this, and Steve did that, and Isaac did this other thing. Well, if God has a plan for any of the three of us, he'll lead us to repentance. And he'll lead us to leave those things behind. And he might lead us on a very humble and shameful walk. Well, he's got a plan for us. It's going to bring it to fruition. If he's got a use for us, then he most definitely will break our wills to achieve that purpose. His plan would be fulfilled. Listen to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Be confident of this very thing, Paul says that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We read that oftentimes as, oh, a wonderful promise of God. Your flesh hears that as a most hated threat of God. Let me read it again. Be confident of this very thing. If your parent was wagging their finger at you when they said this, you wouldn't receive it as warm and fuzzy as maybe you've heard it read in the past. Be confident of this very thing. He who hath begun this good work in you, he who hath saved you, he who hath said, be holy for I am holy, he's going to perform that work. He's going to use you for his purposes until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And no, this isn't talking about the crucifixion. This was written post-crucifixion. This is talking about the days ahead, our days ahead, possibly a very near future. 
He who hath begun a good work in you. He didn't do it in vain. He wasn't wasting his time. You might live like it was a lost cause, but he can do something about that. He's a great and terrible God after all. Listen to Romans 8.28, another verse that we tend to read with warm fuzzies. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, he also justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. Let me point out a few words in Romans 8, verses 28 through 30, that maybe you don't dwell on when you read this. First, the word conformed. Nobody likes that word. Uh, any headline that has conformed in it in this day and age in our own lingo are going to get a lot of hits. They're going to be an influencer in a heartbeat because people do not like to be conformed. They do not like to conform to things, and they don't like things to conform to them, to be honest with you. They don't like to be challenged. Well, what the Lord confirms here is he's done a, a great work. He's predestinated, he's called, he's justified, and he's going to glorify. He's got a purpose. And it is for the good of his creation that he has predestinated, called, uh, justified, and glorified. It is for their good, these things that are going to come to pass according to his will. That doesn't mean they'll be easy. That doesn't mean you're going to like it or that I'm going to like it. But it will be for our good. That's the promise. The promise isn't that you're going to be wealthy, good-looking, or enjoy the rest of your life. You actually have a choice there because he's overcome the world. So you can be of good cheer. But he's not promising here that the circumstances for the remainder of your, remainder of your life after salvation will be wonderful and delightful. And you will have all you've ever desired. He simply promised it will all be to your good according to his will. That's the promise. That changes things a little bit. These might have been your favorite verses before tonight. I can't apologize for that. Laney uh, regurgitated a line at me earlier, uh, probably the last 24 hours, that I had to I almost stop the car to correct. And the same culprit that buried the Mother Nature theory in her a few years back put this one in her mind as well. She said, don't worry, Dad. The Lord will not put more on you than you can handle. Beloved, that's a fallacy. Now, Laney knows this. I'm not saying this to embarrass her, but as the pastor, I need to make sure you all hear this. Man made that up. God didn't. And she heard, because I'm her dad too, at least a dozen examples as to why that's not true. But I'll try to give you just a couple. Preaching righteousness to a... Uh, society that rejected it for 120 years while building an ark that was a lot that was a lot for noah to handle dropped to the dirt on damascus road as saul of tarsus is blind can't see anything is led to tra be trained by one who is terrified of him who would say this is this is in saul's wheelhouse saul's been preparing for the day when he'd go blind and be used to do the opposite that he'd spent his whole life doing. He's going to put more on you than you can handle. We're on a perfect spot to teach that lesson, actually, because he's going to put more on Jacob than he already has. And he's going to put more on Jacob than Jacob can handle. 
And very soon, we will literally see Jacob be forced to lean upon the Lord for the rest of his life. And that's the purpose of him putting more on us than we can handle. I'd be willing to say Parkinson's is more than Steve wants to handle most days. Strokes of the past probably more than Sister Gail wants to handle. Burying loved ones. Maybe the political climate of 2023. Maybe miscarriages. More than we can handle. You see, we, we come at it with this human idea that God won't. But God will. God will. And we keep coming back to, but he won't. A God of love shall not do such a thing. You don't command him. He will. This book speaks more of his judgment than his love. He hates sin. He will judge every sin that has ever been committed at any time. It will be paid for. Mark his word. It will be paid for. And the payment for one, just one tiny minuscule in your mind sin that you have committed since birth, the payment for that sin is more than you can handle. I promise you. I know it's more than I can handle. I'm probably not the strongest in this room. But that's just one tiny, minuscule sin in our uh, estimation. And it's more than we can handle. How many of you have always only ever sinned that one time? How many today have only sinned one time? Nobody's got their hands up. If you would be overwhelmed for having to pay for that one sin, please don't let me hear you say that God will not give you more than you can handle. That's not an encouragement to me. <laughs> Laney knows this now. But that's a lie. It's a lie of the devil. You should not surely die. It's a lie of the devil. Let us beware of what is happening here for Jacob in this dream. God is literally instructing him. I have made these promises. I will keep these promises, including the very personal presence of myself to you. You have seen a vision of my son, Christ Jesus. Your life is never going to be the same. That's what salvation should have been like. And nobody, with me at least, shared their salvation story Sunday like a challenge. But I would hope when you share that story, and boy, I hope you do, that at the conclusion of the story you say, and my life has never been the same since. Because you might not be saved if, if you can't say that. God has a purpose for every one of his children. Everything he's called into existence has a purpose. I want to conclude with a, a quote from Matthew Henry. He says, Jacob's conduct hitherto, as recorded, was not that of one who simply feared and trusted in God. But now, in trouble, obliged to flee, he looked only to God to make him to dwell in safety, and he could lie down and sleep in the open air with his head upon a stone. Think of the physical situation here. He's only traveled maybe 70 miles, and just a few days' journey. He's sleeping in the open on rocks. Some might say that he's in a precarious situation, that he's out in the open, uncovered. 
Any true believer would be willing to take up with Jacob's pillow, provided he might have Jacob's vision. Some in here would probably say, I'll sleep on rocks tonight if I can see the ladder, if I can see the Lord, if I can have confirmation of the voice of God himself that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Okay, then do as Jacob did. Flee. Flee from all sin. Flee from all influences of evil. Flee from the safety of your flesh. Because see, we want what Jacob got, but we don't want what he went through to get there. Jacob had to leave these things behind. See, all the things we just got done teaching, uh, we could have hatched this notion that it was Rebecca's scheme again to send him away. Rebecca never saw him again. This scheme didn't go the way Jake, Rebecca wanted to. So we can go ahead and conclude that maybe she hatched the plan, but she's not in control of it. God used those circumstances, Romans 8, 28, verse 31, for the good of those he sees fit. And in this circumstance, it's Jacob. He used the concluding events of the previous chapter and that last scheme of Rebekah's to get him towards uh, Haran, to get him to leave, to go back to, uh, to the family to find a wife, because God needed him out of there. I mean, I, it should have been a pretty strong notion we were all getting after, after going through that chapter that, that that house was trouble. So if you want the latter, if you want the voice and the promise and the confirmation of land seed and the presence of God, the personal presence, careful what you pray for, flee from those things. Repent. That's another way of saying it. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You want to know God like you've never known him before? Leave your cell phones here. Don't go home to your televisions tonight. Don't go home at all. Stay here and study your Bible. You want to know God better? Keep reading. I can't make you know God better. Steve can't make you know. And, and Clark and Isaac can't sing you into a better knowledge of God. You're going to have to leave these things behind the world's given you if you want to know him. That's what Jacob experienced here. Matthew Henry continues, God's time to visit his people with his comforts is when they are most destitute of other comforts and other comforters. Jacob had to fear danger from his brother Esau, but God promises to keep him. He had a long journey before him to an unknown country, but behold, I am with thee. And God promises to bring him back again to this land. He seemed to be forsaken of all his friends, but God gives him the assurance, I will not leave thee. Whom God loves, he never leaves. This might be a scary notion. On one hand, you want to know God better. On the other hand, you don't want to leave behind the things you know the most, the things that make you feel most comfortable. Until you're ready to let go of those idols, you can't know God better than you do if you know him at all. Friends, this isn't a threat. God's not looking for a fan club. He's looking for an intimate relationship with those that he has called to do his will. He's not called for lifeless sacks of flesh to just hear and hear and hear and hear and hear, but to go, go, go. 2023 is going to be a different year. Even if it's not monumentally different, there's going to be differences this year than what we've seen in recent years. And it's a safe conclusion because, honestly, since 2020, things have sped up, it seems. Are you going to keep following the same path you've always followed, wondering if this time the results will be different? 
wondering if somehow magically you'll come to know God better by doing absolutely nothing at all. If you wanted to know me better, you'd probably come to my house. You'd probably ask me questions. What's your favorite color? What's your favorite board game? What do you like to do for fun? What's your favorite food? And by the end of all that, you'd know me better. Ask. Seek. Knock. You want to know God better? Here it is. But you have not because you've asked amiss, the writer says in the New Testament. You have not because you've not forsaken yourself and your flesh and those comforts that you've come to know in this life. May the Lord help us to see it, to finally see it, that he has never one time forsaken his people. And those who would truly believe and repent, they will find him. But you can't have all these idols too. Will it be the God of the universe, the creator of all things, or the gods of this world? That shall surely perish. May the Lord help us.